The new phone book is here. The new phone book is here. And so is Bill O'Reilly's book. Bill O'Reilly. The new book, The United States of Trump, How the President Really Sees America. He's been working on this for like 10 minutes last year and then promoting for the last year uh, to tell us that it's coming out. I have read it cover to cover, and I begrudgingly tell you it's one of his best books, and it's really, really good. And you're going to look at the president in a different way. And if, if anybody really wants to understand how the president thinks, this would be the one book that you should. Um, but I'm hoping that there's some sort of book apocalypse that happens uh, and you can't make it to the bookstore. Bill O'Reilly, welcome. <laughs> You don't have to go. You can order on Amazon or BillOReilly.com. Now, listen, it's very nice of you. We usually chat on Friday, and it's very nice of you to give me the extra time on Tuesday. And I'll tell you you why it's important. Yeah. So um, the networks won't book me Mm -hmm. um, to talk about this book for Mm -hmm. two reasons. Number one, it embarrasses them because it, it chronicles how the coverage of Donald Trump has been so dishonest from the jump. And number two... They say to our publicists, well, yeah, he can come on, but we want to talk about Fox News and how bad it is and how they're in the tank for Trump. And uh, we want him to go on and rip up Fox News. And uh, I'm not going to do that. Um, you know, I got problems with Fox, as everybody does, but I'm, I was there for more than 20 years. I'm not going to go in and rip them so, up. So hang on just a second. So you, you, you're not going to be on even any of the, light, the late night shows? Cause no. You're oh, one of their guys. favorite. Are you me? You're this one is, of their this, favorite punching bags. This is, this is an organized deal that basically the national media says, uh-oh, if this book, if O'Reilly's book gets to be uh, a big success and millions read it, they're going to know that we're not covering the country honestly. And I'll, let me give you an example of, of how, what a crisis we're in as far as information flow is concerned. So the AP writes a story about this uh, Ukraine controversy, right? The Associated Press. And the Associated Press goes to every small newspaper in the United States. That's what you read when you pick up um, the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel or whatever. So I'm going to read you one paragraph. This is from the Associated Press hard news coverage. Trump has sought without evidence to implicate Biden and his son Hunter in the kind of corruption that has long plagued Ukraine. Hunter Biden served on the board of a Ukrainian gas company at the same time his father was leading the Obama administration's diplomatic dealings with Kiev. Though the timing raised concerns among anti-corruption advocates, there has been no evidence of wrongdoing by either the former vice president or his son. It's not true. Now, this is, this is a hard news piece. But they didn't say there is no evidence of wrongdoing against President Trump. When there isn't any evidence of anything, we don't know what Donald Trump said in his phone call. We don't know who the whistleblower is. And now there are reports that the whistleblower didn't even hear the conversation. It's hearsay. None of that is in the Associated Press report. So the reason I wrote this book was because I am furious about the corruption of the American media, and I am worried that the American people are not getting the information they need to make responsible decisions. That's why I wrote this book. I had another killing book all set to come out this month, but we delayed that 
to get this book out because enough's enough. But now it's going to be harder for me to get the word out about the book because the establishment media doesn't want people to know about it. And that's why I thank you, Glenn Beck, for being generous in giving me some time today. So I'm I'm shocked to hear that the media won't have you on. I actually am because you are, you are a great guest and they love punching you and you like yeah, and it's you like ratings. punching back. It's great for ratings and I'm right. I'm it's big ratings, but listen, when I tell you Beck that we are in a crisis situation as far as the media is concerned, all right, that there is anger in the conservative traditional precincts, furious anger, all right, and in the liberal precincts there is worry there have been so many bogus stories so many false accusations that the liberal media is now worried cnn is worried they don't have one show that draws more than a million viewers not one you could put a chimp on for an hour and have the chimp jump up and down and maybe eat a few bananas and you'll get a million too they can't get a million viewers for any of their shows. All right, so let me ask you this. Do you yeah. think, knowing the president and writing this uh, new book that is out today, The United States of Trump, do you believe that Donald Trump did not say to the Ukrainian uh, president or whoever he was supposedly talking to, um, hey, I need you to look into this thing about Biden and his son? All right. The odds are, heavy odds are, that he did say that. But there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you next. Right. Is there a problem with that? Here's the problem, and I wrote this on the message of the day, if people want to read a little more in detail, on BillOReilly.com. The problem is, if he said to the president of Ukraine in June, when this or July, when this call was made, look, if you don't nail the Bidens, I'm not going to give you the aid that Congress has uh, has approved. That would be very bad. Now, Trump denies that. Well, he, says, yeah, he flat out says, that I didn't do it. I right. didn't do a quid pro quo, Latin this for that. Okay? But if he did, that's bad. Okay? And that has to be looked into. Impeachable? I don't think so. I don't think so, because the aid did go to Ukraine. It did go. Mm -hmm. If the aid had not gone, then more of a chance. But so look, do you think, wait, 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 do you think he said, I'm not giving that to you unless you nail him? I don't know. How can I, I possibly know? I know Donald that. I know Trump, that. I here's think what that I, Here's what I know. Donald Trump believes that the Obama administration, including Joe Biden, was corrupt overseas. And I, I agree with him. Do you agree with them? I do between Ukraine I do, and China. It's a fine line. OK, there's no question by his own admission that Joe Biden helped his son make multi-million dollars. And there is nothing illegal about that that we know of. But it's unless, just horrible. Unless. All right. Biden basically and Biden admits to doing it. Biden told the Ukrainians if you don't remove this prosecutor looking into my son's company, the company paying him $85,000 a month, then I'm not going to give you a billion dollars in loans and President Obama is going to back me up. Now, that could be illegal. So that don't dismiss that. And Biden admits that he said it. Yeah, there's his own. But words. what he didn't say was that what he claims he didn't say was uh, because of it's my son's 
you know, company and I want you to get but off of that. It doesn't make any difference. Correct. It, that doesn't make any difference because he was over there, all right, overseeing Ukrainian loans at the same time his son was getting paid by a corrupt Ukrainian energy company. So what Biden was mandated to do, all right, was recuse himself from being in Ukraine. He's mandated to do that. That's conflict of interest. I could make a case on this all day long, but you won't hear a word about this no. in the media. No, Not a word. No, I know. They, they, they... That brings me back to why I wrote this book, because I'm so angry about, and, and my whole life, I have never seen anything like this in the United States. And in all the history that I've written about the press has never been corrupt at this level, ever. So what's, what's, what's because if you think it's bad, you say we're in a crisis now. Um, I believe 2020 is going to be much, much worse. We will end 2020. By this time in 2020, people will not know who to trust, what to believe, what's real, what's not. Even if they see it in video, they won't know if it's real or not. If they hear tapes of it, they won't know what's real or not. That's what's coming in the next 12 months. Here's the mitigating circumstance why I'm not as worried as you are. Because there will be debates between Trump and Biden or whoever the nominee may be. Okay? You're going to get at least three expositions of Trump versus that person. That transcends the media. The media is not going to have anything to do with that, okay? It's going to be mano a mano on the stage, Americans watching in record numbers, okay? And Americans will make their decision based upon those expositions. So you're taking the press out of that, all right? They can't say, oh, uh, we fought so-and-so one, because Americans are going to watch and make their own decisions, all right? That's the key of the election of 2020. Bill, thank you so much for being on. Uh, again, the name of the book is The United States of Trump, uh, the, How the President Really Sees America. What is the one part that you think Donald Trump is, is going to bristle at the most? Um, probably the description that everything he deals with, he makes personal. It, it's all personal. He is going to disagree with that? I don't think he's going to like to hear it. Hmm. You know, he's got nobody around him. Maybe Melania, maybe. I don't know for sure. Got nobody around him to say, hey, why don't you knock off the narcissism on Thursday? You can do it the other four or five days of the week, but no, no, no narcissism <laughs> what on did you, Thursday. What did, you, what did you get from that scene that you talk about on the airplane where he's like, Melania, come on in here? Oh, that was hysterical. Tell so me he t- was so teed off. That I was asking him all these questions about his family and his background and that he was an incorrigible uh, child. He got so agitated and he didn't know what to do. He couldn't throw me out because we're at 30,000 feet on Air Force One. So he calls his wife in. He goes, Melania, get out of here. He's torturing me. Tell him to stop. (laughs) And Melania comes in. And then with a smile and looks at me and looks at him and just bolts right out. Just just comes in, doesn't say, doesn't say anything. He explains. She just stands there for a while and then turns around and walks out. (laughs) No, 
didn't walk out, sprinted out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bill O'Reilly, thanks so much, man. All right. Appreciate it. Talk to you Friday. You got it. United States of Trump is the new book. Uh, pick it up. Uh, I mean, help the old man out. You know, he's headed for a retirement home. He's got nothing left, uh, no friends. Mm-hmm. Help him out. We're going to talk about the economy here in uh, just a second. I, uh, Donald Trump is speaking at the U.N. And uh, he is he is truly a president that I think is speaking to the citizens of the world. He was just talking about if you if you value your freedoms, you have to have pride in your country. And the future does not belong to the globalists. That's not going to go well, you know, in the U.N. Not with the globalists. Not with the globalists at the U.N. (laughs) What he's saying is he is speaking directly to the people all over the world that are really smart. And it's, it's what the press and all politicians seem to miss. The people, both sides of the aisle... Do not want a government telling them how to live every step of the way. Now, that is changing. Do we happen to have the audio of the woman who is fighting the the fight uh, over freedom and security? What was it that Ben Franklin said? Uh, those who sacrifice their freedom for their security uh, will lose both and deserve neither. Listen to what this woman uh, said. Listen to this. The problem is, it's not the five demands. It's you guys value freedom more than safety. Do we agree? Okay, so I think safety is more important than freedom. If you have a safe environment, you can communicate. Your value system is different, okay? Wow. If, if you're That's over, for sure. the old thinking, like China's thinking, is safety is more important than freedom. Listen to that. China's thinking. You are engaged in old thinking. Ask the Muslims uh, in China. Ask the Christians in China. How great that theory is. Ask the people in Hong Kong how great that is. She is actually making the case that you, you are engaged in old thinking if you value your freedom over security. The people in the Soviet Union were secure until they weren't. You're totally secure in those situations as long as you agree with everything that the state or those in power do. It's the minute you have a different opinion, and I, I, I warn you, we're being told right now we should all have the same opinion. But that's inhuman. That goes against human nature. We don't all have the same opinion, and we, we should, shouldn't. We should all have the same opinion. We should all eat the same things. That doesn't include uh, meat. Meat. I mean, they're re- that's really coming to the forefront now, is this push for vegetarianism. Well, we have to talk next hour. We're also going to talk about this. I'm, I'm, you please play, what was the girl's name, Hel- Helga or whatever? Greta Van, Greta, uh, Greta Thunberg. Greta Thunberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was speaking at this, this climate um, uh, conference, and I just want you to listen. How old is she? 15, 15 years 15, old, 16. She's 16. I want you to listen to the fear in this 15 year old. Listen to this. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. 
It's true. Go I ahead. should be back in school yes, on the should. other Please side of the ocean. Yes. Yet, we you all come that. to us young people for hope. Hmm. How dare you? <laughs> you have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Hmm. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. Why? People are suffering. People are dying. Where? Of the climate? Entire ecosystems are collapsing. Where? We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. Holy. All you can talk about According is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? Wow. And then Lemmings all applaud All that applaud. Because they love this, that These stuff. parents are Despicable. monsters. Yeah. They're monsters. To, to get her to believe... That humanity is on the uh, on the brink of extinction. Who is even saying there's not a single scientist I know of that is saying the that? The people who wrote the report, the people who wrote the report that believe in global warming, they've been saying nobody's saying. We never said there's ten years or fifteen years. We never said that. Look at what they're doing to Jeez. our children. This is inhumane. It's abuse. It is absolutely abuse, and it's more than that. I I contend it is actual evil, and I'll back that up next hour. You're listening to Glenn Beck. Welcome to the uh, program, the Glenn Beck program. We have Harry Dent on. He is the author of a new book out called uh, Zero Hour. He's a he's an economist. Uh, he has written several several books um, over the recent years. He goes against the grain um, usually. This time, people are starting to agree with him. Um, but uh, he predicted the dot com bubble in the nineties. I believe he also had a book out that talked about the banking crisis in two thousand eight. He is. He is more accurate on timing uh, than I am, but uh, he is uh, very accurate on the direction that we're headed. He's saying that we are approaching zero hour in 2020 of a of a massive meltdown. Welcome to the program, Harry Dent. Yeah, nice to be back, Glenn. Yeah, thank you. Um, so let me let me start with this. Uh, are you concerned at all about? What's happening with the banking sector that they say was caused by buying U.S. treasuries and then they also had to pay their taxes on the same week. And so the the repo loans that are being given by the Fed and they say they're going to do it now. They they were only going to do, uh, I think, 50 billion dollars. And they announced last Friday that they're going to continue this until October 10th to the tune of one point eight trillion dollars to the banks. What's happening there? Well, uh, yeah, it, it, it is worrisome that all of a sudden banks need money. You can't say, oh, quarterly tax payments are due because that happens every quarter. Yeah. <laughs> and they I mean, fire everybody in your accounting department if that's yeah. true. Yeah. And the, and the repo rate didn't, doesn't jump to 10 percent every quarter when that happens. So Correct. there is a reason that there's a couple things going on. And the Fed is partly responsible for this. Back in 2008 in the crisis, um, they, for the first time, paid banks to have excess reserves parked at the Fed. In the past, if they did that, they didn't get anything on it. And so the the banks are are sitting here saying, okay, other banks need more money, but for some reason, the big banks, who are the ones that really do this, are not lending it. It, It's banks lending to each other, as you've told people. And for some reason, they're not. But but the reserves, so, so 
but but they they're getting that 1.9 percent. They're getting the same amount just sitting there at the Fed. So the Fed created this. That was not the case. Um, the the other thing is, is that um, the Fed started draining. They started buying back bonds. They started shrinking their balance sheet between 2017 and 18, and that took the the amount of money that banks have in excess reserves. Now that's above what they're required to have with the Fed. So this is excess dropped from 2.8 down to 1.4 trillion. So there is less money in the system because of that. And now there seems to be, I mean, like you say, nobody's giving a reason, which is weird. It, it is weird. They're not giving a reason why banks suddenly need money, but, but they may just get to the point where, where the, the larger banks say, well, you know, we want to have some excess liquidity because, because I hate it. <laughs> they know that they're still, I mean, you know, remember that $670 trillion of crazy derivatives, highly leveraged derivatives, mm-hmm. there's still 530 trillion in the system. Um, mm. And, and of course, they these banks, all of them, they invest in, and, and they're basically speculators now. Um, and, and, and they're the smart money that can kind of be ahead of the Fed. And as long as the Fed keeps easing, they just keep betting on that highly leveraged. So, you know, they know that, that they have you know more risk than they let on. And so maybe these bigger banks are just saying, oh, you know, we, I think we'd rather have this money sitting at the Fed, and we're getting paid the same. Now, what, what right. would be interesting, if the Fed, I would like to see this, if the Fed were to lower that rate they're paying on those excess reserves, then the banks would have more motivation. And if then they didn't lend, boy, then you know something's bad. But, but it's definitely troubling. This is not cumulative. This money has to be paid back every night. But the fact that they have to keep doing it every night, something's problem. Something's yeah, yeah, wrong. There's a problem. Right. Liquidity is drying up, and that that's all. It doesn't take much to trigger a crisis when we now have uh, seventy trillion more in global debt than we had before, and we have you know uh, eighty-eight, eighty-nine trillion dollars in just household financial assets. All of this can, and, and businesses have twenty-nine trillion, and financial institutions have you know one hundred and two trillion. This money can just disappear. Um, and, and that's what happens in that the difference between a recession and a depression. And, you know, and I, I know you're thinking the same. I'm calling for a depression. We began a depression in 2008, but they printed since about 16 trillion dollars to blow our way out of it to keep the banks from having to mark. Uh, take losses on their loan, bad loans and, and mark things down the market, which they allowed them not to do, which is all bad business. It's all not letting you clean out the system so the economy can get healthy again. So we're carrying all this bad debt. Now we got $70 trillion more. Most of that came in the emerging world where their debt almost tripled since 2008 because we printed all these ch- cheap dollars and euros and stuff and yen, especially dollars. And so emerging markets, emerging countries went on a borrowing spree like we did in the 2008. So we're more in debt. They're way more in debt. So, so what we're going to have Instead of the 1930s scenario where the first downturn was the worst of the Great Depression, 25 percent unemployment, 89 percent stock crash, you know, real estate goes down, everything goes down. This time we had and then they had an aftershock in 1937 to 40, uh, a second uh, lesser depression. What we got is the lesser depression on the front side. And we're going to get the big one on the back side precisely because. Governments, central banks all did the same thing. They just printed their way out of this. They, they printed money to cover up and to prevent deflation. Deflation is occurring. And that, again, that's what a depression is versus a recession. When you see deflation like in the 1930s, and we started to see in 
You have loans failing. That means they get uh, written off or, or restructured. Money disappears in the system. Stock stock bubbles, right? You know, the stock market is worth, what, $70 trillion. That drops 50, 60, 70, 80%. Money disappears and does not come back for a while. So money's coming out of the system. That causes deflation, and that's a sign that you're going through what I call a big detox, that the debt is deleveraging, financial bubbles are coming down to reality. Uh, the stock market right now, you know, I, I think you probably remember my the indicator I'm most famous for is the spending wave. New generations moving predictably up a rising spending cycle as they age until age 46. Now it's 47. Um, and, and that's been the best gauge of where the stock market should be and the best predictor in the past. Well, now the stock market's 114 percent above that, by far the most overvalued. And you know what all this? Companies buying back their own stocks. Their, their earnings per share from shrinking their stocks has gone up 119% faster than the actual earnings. And that's exa- almost exactly how much the stock market's overvalued. No, uh, in, um, everyday investors aren't buying the stock market. Institutions are actually backing out in, in, in the last year. It's all corporations, $5.7 trillion since 2009. Corporations buying back their own stock, which means they're buying, they're taking the cash flow of their shareholders and, and buying stocks that are massively overvalued in, in, in a bubble. And then when it crashes, they're going to lose all that money. And the shareholders are going to say, well, why aren't you buying our stock now that it's down 80%, 90%? And they're going to say, well, we don't have the money because we blew it in the bubble. They, the, I've never seen this, Glenn, before where the, the dumb money today is the, is the largest corporation's management buying back their own stock. And then the flip side in real estate, the biggest bubbles are being driven by the richest people buying in the biggest cities like New York and London and San Francisco and, and, and Miami and Shanghai and, and Sydney and, and Singapore. And, and they are buying real estate massively overvalued, thinking, oh, it can never go down because rich people like us will always have money and buy it. No, the rich people, the richer you are and the more money you have in financial assets, the more you're going to lose when this bubble blows. And, and I'm saying at the latest, this thing blows by early 2021. I think it's going to blow right around the corner. I think it's going to blow on early 2020. That's that's. I've got two scenarios. Uh, it's so bad now, Glenn, that you know, since central banks just do anything, print any amount of money, uh, cut taxes, whatever, to keep this going. This this is just going to be a bubble that goes until it blows. And it looks to me, it's like we've got maybe one more rally left. And, and the question is, do we get a, a significant scare first and then a rally because the Fed does step up and do what Trump is telling him to do? It's like, you know, print a bunch of money and, and lower rents, rates more aggressively again. Uh, but but one way or the other, I think his thing is, is my odds are that this is going to blow by in the first half of next year and maybe as soon as, as January. If All we right. get one more. Uh, so what, Harry, does the average person do? Don't talk to me about people who have lots of money. Talk to me about people who have very little money. What do they do? Well, you know, I tell you, first thing, because because real estate is hard. If you have real estate that's not strategic to your life, like a home you plan to stay in long term, uh, you've got maybe a second home that you don't use that much, or you've got a house, maybe you speculated in a house, which a lot of people have done. You know, you you, you buy a house and then and then you rent it out and then you hope it go, keeps going up in this bubble. You got to sell your real estate now because real estate uh, gets illiquid very fast, and that's what happened in 2008. So, so any real estate, and, and if you're thinking, "Oh, I've got a McMansion now, but in three years I'm going to retire and I'm going to sell it," 
no, sell it now before this crash, because real estate, I think this time, it, my indicator on real estate is very good. It was 20% overvalued in 2006, the last top, and I did call that. I, in fact, I sold my house in Miami. Uh, right in late 2005, just before real estate peaked in 2006. Now it is 40% overvalued mm. compared to my best indicator for that. So I'm expecting uh, up to a 50% crash versus 34% in real estate. Now that's, that's, that's what hits the average person the most because people tend to have debt against their house and people tend to have uh, a lot. Rich people have a lot more money in financial assets, but, but, Everyday people have more money in their house, in their primary home and or a vacation house. So real estate first. And then I'm telling people, you know, it, it, right now wouldn't be a bad time because we, we could see a surprise crash literally within weeks because the market's at a very critical point right now. They're trying to break the new highs, and if they can't, it means they're probably going to go down more than they did late last year, and that, that could be 25 30 percent so this is this is a good time to lighten up on stocks if we see this one more rally that i'm expecting then you're definitely selling that you just um uh, you're thinking there's a rally at the 33 possible possible yeah or, or my, i'm most watching glenn the nasdaq because that's the lead dog that's the lead bubble nasdaq i'm project if we get one more if we can break up the new highs and continue the rally that started in, in late December, then uh, my target would be about 10,000. I see it get near a 10,000 NASDAQ. That is an absolute take your money and run, even if it goes higher, because as Baron Rothschild said in the 1800s, when they asked, what's the secret to your wealth? He says, I always got out a little early. The, one of the things, Glenn, I did was I looked at bubbles. All I've done is study bubbles the last few years, because we're in, a, we're in the biggest bubble in all history. It's global. It's being pushed, uh, coordinated by central banks around the world. Um, uh, bubbles, the, the first crash, when, when the smart money finally say it's over, and I've got a smart money indicator that's saying they're already running for the hills. They just haven't started shorting it yet. They're already not investing in this market. The first crash averages in the last seven bubbles in the last century, 42% in the first 2.6 months. And the worst one, which would probably be more like this one, was 1929. 49% in the first 2.3 months. In less than 10 weeks, the market goes down 49%, on the way down 89% in, in, in 1932, but, but more than half of it happens right away. So people who wait and say, well, I'll, you know, wait, it's better to get out a little early. Um, uh, I, I think markets are either going to break up or down in the next few weeks or so. If they break up, I would kind of like sell into that rally. If they start to break down then then you know you might want to just get out a little early now um and you could do like half now and half later um so you you really just have to say look i mean what what the typical stockbroker financial advisor will tell you and, they, and they'd be right about 80 percent of the time but, you know you can sit out most corrections this is not a correction this is a great reset the last time this happened was exactly 90 years ago that's one of my most important cycles yeah 45-year technology and bubble cycles, and especially super bubbles every 90 years. So we really are repeating. At that point. Yeah, at that yeah. point. And, and a, a super bubble in the U.S. when everybody was moving to the Midwest and Chicago became New York overnight in 1837 that crashed into 1842. So right. every 90 years we've seen this. So this is, this is nothing to sit through. You have to just be safe. Okay. And then if you do that, then you can buy everything on sale a couple of years from now. All right. Harry Dent is his name. The name of the book is Zero Hour. 
I urge you to do your own homework and pay attention to the economy uh, because something is um, uh, something's weird that is happening. Uh, and you're going to have to decide what to do uh, about it. Harry Dent, author of Zero Hour. Thanks very much. Mm. Coming up in a few minutes, I'm going to give you uh, my look at the Trump-Biden-Ukraine scandal. And ask you a few questions. I'm going to fill in some blanks and ask you a few questions. And um, I think, I think by the end you will um, you will understand uh, what is coming uh, this next election, and what is really possible at this next election, and why the Democrats are doing what they're doing, why the Republicans are doing what they're doing on this. You have to decide. Does any of this stuff really matter? And I think the answer to that is yes. But there's a follow-up question. Without a free press, how does it how does it matter? With a, with a press in the bag and corrupt, how does it matter? You're listening to Glenn.